Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hello, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours as always. Uh, today we have a very interesting interview for you uh, with a guy that's been requested a lot by um, various people. Finally got through to him and he agreed to do it. His name is Tom Ellard, uh, originally and most famously from the band Severed Heads. Australian band. His thing is very much about a kind of hybrid of pop, dance and uh, electronics, tape manipulation. Very much influenced. Started around about the same time as the early Human League actually in Australia. Um, very much influenced by people like the Cabs and Throbbing Gristle and part, uh, you know, a central part of the Australian scene at that point and has continued throughout his career to do very exciting things Early adoption technologies, cassette releases, early internet. Thinks like an artist, does a lot of educational stuff. And it, this, this entire discussion is, a, if I was to sum it up, it's a bit like underground versus overground, I think. So here he is, Tom Ellard. Glad to know that you've been uh, one of the more requested uh, people for actually probably since the start of us doing this. Hello. Hello. I'm just celebrating myself. Oh here. right, I thought you were uh, saying that I was frozen. It's all right. Okay. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so yeah, you should be. Um, you should be glad to Tough. be. So, you've got so many good friend, uh, good um, fans out there. Oh, God. God protect me from fans, though. Why? Um, they're dangerous. They, they, they go feral. Um, you do something <laughs> they don't like, and then, you know, all of a sudden you're getting mailed dogs in the, in the post, you know, and slugs uh, and things. Tell me about that. Um, well, done a lot of different things, and I like not doing the same thing. I don't want to be 1980 synthesizer music forever and ever and ever and ever. No one, no one sane would do that. And I uh, therefore am fascinated by new things and, and curious and I want to try them out and you get punished because you're doing this new thing. This is not what I came for. This is not what I expect. Um, and this has been an ongoing dialogue, mostly with me having tantrums about it. Um, but the tantrums but come back. They know who you are. They know. Mm -hmm. They know that your modus operandi is mm -hmm. about constant change and constant experimentation, which should yeah. be applauded. So, uh, what I would argue is those people probably don't really qualify as fans. They're kind of just obsessives, really. Um, how, how do you... <laughs> how, how do you sort them in the bins? Like, how do you, how do you work out who's obsessive? And I, uh, I mean, there's I, the ones that ring you up and, and get good. your phone number and all that sort of thing. Oh, no, I don't, I, I, I don't have that. Um, mm. I've got a very simple philosophy, no arseholes. So mm -hmm. um, if anybody, I've got quite a good radar for arseholes. Right. That's a good title for a track, isn't it, or an album? Yeah, it is. It is. For I'll, th um, I'll steal that one. 
Well, you can have it, mate. It's, it's yours. Thank you. Um, and I just blocked them immediately. Right. Uh, I mean, right. I, I try and nip it in the bud from the outset. There are right. there are some some that creep through the net, but most people mm. are normally quite respectful, really. I think um, maybe you're just uh, unlucky in as much as what you do is triggering. Uh, a lot of the time, because it's 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 pushing the boundaries. Now mm. treat that as a uh, as a compliment, really. The mm. fact that you get this kind of attention. I mean, if you think about, you know, I always uh, think about, um, you know, Stravinsky playing Firebird. You know, the, oh, or, or the debut yeah. of that, where yeah, you know, they basically tried to stop the performance by throwing things. Yeah. And, yeah. and I I always think. You know, you've got to think in those terms. I mean, mm. I wouldn't ever put myself in that category or possibly yourself in the category of Stravinsky, but it's that kind of... People are upset by not getting what they expect, aren't they? Mm. Mm. Anyway, let's go back to growing up. Because, you yeah. know, obviously I've only been to Australia once uh, and briefly. Um, I went to Sydney your hometown, I believe. Um, tell me about growing up and uh, how you came to become the person you are. Uh, well, there's a lot of stuff that you could talk about. I mean, you could get into the whole colonialism sort of thing. And, and uh, I'll try and sum it up with all these little images. The, um, the copies of the NME arriving by ship three months late <laughs> um, the the idea that you were not invited to the northern hemisphere like a party that that you weren't you know you weren't part of that um lots of good friends and lots of your own people coming together and making music the the inner city scene uh you i mean i think in in england there's this sort of north south Thing that happens, the people yeah. in the north feel like they're shut out from the south. We're a kind of we felt more back then that we were in a, a global shutout, and so we had our own rules and our own people and our own kind of ways of doing things. Um, and it was making fun, really. I mean, going going further back, if it you know, I was trying to figure out where a lot of this stuff comes from. Um, Back in the 70s, it wasn't an overload of things. It was a it was a kind of scarcity of things. You were so deeply attuned to things that you you would desperately grab onto them. And um I saw a film uh in 1974 called The Conversation. Oh, great, great film. Yeah. Well. Like I was, I was like twelve years old, and it became this sort of um, oh. brain brain thing, right? And I just, I just had to. That was it. I, I had to see this at the cinema twice, and I had to build this shit. And you know, where do you get open real tape recorders from? And how do you do this? And um, the fact that you. Um, if you think about the film, it's not really about this, but you could misinterpret it in terms of like controlling the universe by the use of sound. Um, I think it was um, uh, which person it was that would play um, car crash sounds 
outside on a tape recorder to cause cars cra- car crashes. Um, um, which one of JT Ballard, isn't it? There. Oh, I think it was Burroughs, but I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure it was Burroughs because Burroughs would take the credit for yeah. a lot of things that other people did. Um, so I built machines and 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 noise making stuff. And I had these tape recorders, and I do a lot of stuff with tape recorders, things like, you know, you, you could put a speaker on the floor and then you could swing a microphone and, and it would go over that and then you could cut that onto a loop. And if the loop was going around, you could record, but you put a piece of cardboard over the, the erase head and so it would just keep on building up more and more sound. Um, and there was it was it was sculptural stuff, but it was sculptural because it, made sense. It was alchemy. It was controlling things. And I was somebody who needed to control things. Um, and I was very, very lucky to run into um, Richard, who was the second person or the person I worked with for a long time. Um, and he had a, a synthesizer and um, basically said, what have you got? I'm being given water. Thank you very much. Um, and he had a synthesizer and, and you know, what's that? And, oh, it's a synthesizer and you can do this with it. And and that controlled the universe much more quickly. Yeah, yeah. Which synthesizer was it? It was a Kawaii 100F. Right. It is the best synthesizer made by the mind of man. Um, <laughs> it is beautiful because it has no concept of music at all it's just something that you you it's just this unbridled energy in a wooden box and it it just can't help itself and the thing i think that sums it up is that every time you see one all the the little knobs are in different places that people have kind of mixed them up everywhere it's its own logic uh, and that was it the fact that you know there was tape recorders and there was this stupid thing that that hated music that was beautiful um <laughs> I, I well I, I say i think i'm just getting to the point i'm not taking credit for a lot of this stuff there's a lot of serendipity there's a lot of circumstance there's where you grew up there's the people that you bumped into there's the fail failure of things that makes things much better than success um all of that is 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 in that mixture i think um as as a fellow creative who wants you know i'm like you i want to be doing new things all the time i, I get impatient with just repeating but i try and avoid repeating things um it's important to um to understand the 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 uh function of randomness in in um, mm. Or to, it's like welcoming the universe. It's quite a hippie thing, really, actually, I think. Mm. It's like you welcome the accidental things that come in. And this all kind of, I suppose, for me, stems back to Brian Eno and and mm. his love of randomness. And, and I suppose his love of that went back to people like William Burroughs and the early um, experimenters, Edgar Varese, and, uh, oh, yeah. uh, 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 which was, um, you know, I've got a lot of respect for um, for stuff that sounds like nothing else has ever existed before. Um, I, do you come from that place as well? Uh, it's not. It's 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 it, it's not necessary that 
I mean, I'm 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 not the original author of anything. I'm just somebody who stumbled down the over. You know, you've got a skateboard on the street and people keep on falling over it, and I'm just the last person to fall over it. Doesn't mean that I'm the inventor of falling over a skateboard. Um, and you know, it's it's pure ignorance as well. I mean, we around about the same time as the film came out in 1974, we got our first FM radio station, and um, after midnight, they would have contemporary stuff, contemporary music. Yeah. And somebody played uh, Gesang der Jungler by um, Stockhausen. And I said, listen to this shit. <laughs> just, just listen. Just, it's just, it's just, it's, it's ripping something open with a tin can. Um, at the same time, you know, the the manic intensity of Carl Stallings' um, music for Bugs Bunny, these things aren't opposites. They're not, they're not like, it's not like, oh, that's that and that's that. No, they've both got that energy. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and, and you know, this, the, the helicopter quartet Stockhausen when he's got this piece of music and there's four helicopters and they go up in the air and they play this thing in helicopters and it's just the most stupid, stupid idea that just makes it gloriously what should be. Um, you know, I wish I was had that level of stupidity, if you know what I mean. Or, or or blinkeredness or whatever it is. Or openness, yeah. I mean, I think you do, frankly. I mean, I think you're you've been far too self-effacing. I mean, having mm. uh, a deep dive into your uh, material o over the last couple of days. Um, what strikes me, and and I think uh, as an outsider, it's quite interesting looking at this. Is um, it's it's as much about assembl uh, uh, about uh, about sonic maquettes and assemblage, if you like, uh, and um, and kind of mood boards as it is about. I mean, you briefly dipped, not briefly, but for a while you dipped into the more commercial world of dance music and mm -hmm. had had success in that. But I noted, I saw another interview you did where you were saying that you. Uh, you realise that's that's not what you wanted, and that you wanted to. Yeah, I think basically you were saying you wanted to have the freedom to do whatever the fuck you wanted, mm. and that's been a theme throughout your career. Is that um, have I read that correctly? I, I wouldn't. Everyone want that. I mean, no, you know, no, no. no. I, a lot of people want commercial success at at the cost of their own creativity. I mean, you know, but it's. The, the the whole the whole the whole thing about it is this this like you want to do something well, and you want people to say you did that well. If you do something that's shit, and people say you did that well, that doesn't work. And if you do something well, and people say that was shit, that doesn't work. <laughs> and like like doing pop music is 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 great. It's I mean it's an exercise in it's it's not easy to do. Pop music it's not easy at all but um it kind of like you know it wasn't satisfying because i didn't really feel like i was doing anything that was really touching 
what I wanted to get across. I mean, um, it, it's fantastic to have people enjoy something and, and be happy with it and love it and, and, and all of that. Um, but you want it to actually have some texture. It's it's like if everybody loved your scrambled eggs on toast every morning, then that's cool, man. But, but don't you really want to have something a bit more to offer than that? Um, but I, I don't want to be... I don't want to put down popular music, though. Um, I mean, it's not, it's, you know, something that you can't just, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. All right. Enough. No, no, uh, of course. But, mm. I mean, mm. give me an example, if you can, of a piece of popular music that might maybe fulfills both of the, the criteria that you're talking about, the two opposites. Oh. I've, got, I've got one in mind. Go for it. Uh, uh, well, Oh Superman, which was number one for, you know, uh, over a month in the UK. Yeah. That came out of nowhere. To me, that is the perfect hybrid of intelligent pop music and hmm. experimentation and avant-garde kind of attitude. I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm really taken with, um, like, Prince, for example, is is somebody who he could have done it with that, but he he does it with half of what you yeah it's all suggested, and um, I'm not quite sure who made the decision, but you think about Michael Jackson, which album was it that they decided to have no bass? They took the bass out completely, <laughs> and and the you you didn't miss it at all, um, and I've learned from those i've learned from prince and 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 michael jackson or whoever was producing him that you get to a certain point and you, you should be removing rather than yeah. adding now i that, they're not the only ones but what i'm saying is if brian eno did that you'd say oh well, that's brian eno he's he's yeah. this and that and the other thing but you don't expect it coming into um pop uh consideration of pop music um, there's some really simple things. I mean, like talking about a popular band, the Beatles, uh, there is so much to learn from the fifth Beatle being George Martin, uh, the use of tape loops, the way of, of you know, like uh, the end of a day in the life when it hits that one note on the piano and then turns the faders up. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so many lessons that you can pick up from popular people. Um, I mean, I've mentioned quite a few popular people. So it's not the one thing. It's this conglomerate of influences where people have just done that that one that one little thing. Um, and so with, with, with a lot of art music, I'll, I'll use that term, art music, you, you, you're showing off a principle. You're saying, in this thing, my principle will be, and you will see that this principle is taking place. Um, whereas these people go, uh, what if we did that? That would sound good. Yeah, that sounds good. Great. But they're both the same thing. But one of them is kind of like announcing and delivering, whereas the other one is just intuiting the thing. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like accepting a kind of guiding set of principles in your head before you start out. It's exactly yeah. the meta. I mean, the analogy, not metaphor, mm. analogy is, you know, an artist a visual artist or a film, a, a film auteur who mm. goes, right, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm fucking Werner Herzog. I'm going to mm. make 
the entire crew and and uh, and the actors climb over a fucking mountain, you know. Because it 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 made it it made them so angry that you know. <laughs> It that documentary works. is amazing, by the way, about the making. Yeah, yeah. Look, but it, I, alchemy, it's alchemy. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the wrong word. I don't have the right words. But no, I think it's the right. I think it's the right. The, the, you, you think about, you go back to Burroughs and, and you know, that era of, of, of Throbbing Gristle, those guys, um, there is this alchemical process that I don't want to do that, but it is so helpful in terms of resolving the dilemmas that that we have with um, with music. And then then there's other things like I was listening to the talk you're having with Telex, who are kind of like my exemplar. Yeah, I much prefer them to Kraftwerk. Um, but it's just it's funk. It's just the funk. Yeah, yeah, right. And and. All the planning in the world—it's just the funk that is doing it. And and we used to do A B as a as a song um, back at the early gigs. Back in the day, you do a cover song. We'll do A B by Telex, you know. And um, no way could you get that. You, you couldn't get it. It sounded shit because I couldn't do the the funk, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, my my solution to that in the early days with the Humor League was to slow the tape down to half speed uh, when we did the fake. Horn section on being on the second version of being boiled, for instance, that was all recorded yeah. half, half speed, and you get the benefit of it set, moving all the harmonics up as well when you because uh, the yeah. stuff and all that. Um, I've always been fascinated personally with um, tape manipulation, and I know mm. this is a big part of your your um, your working methodology as well. Um, Actually, it's the way that I learned to put songs together, and it's kind of carried on into the digital world now. Mm. So, from the very outset, this was part of what you were doing, correct? Um, well, that's what I had. So, tape recorders were what I had, and then I basically learned you got synthesizers and keyboards, and you know, you, you'll investigate them for a long time. Um, but then samplers came, and um, you know I had a Akai S six twelve or whatever that thing was called, and 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 you can't save anything. I mean these quick disks and stuff, so yeah. you have to sort of ram something into it, and then you got these little knobs that you tear backwards and forwards, and it rips the sound apart. It's like opening a bag of chips, sort of thing. Um, and then there was like the insonic, uh, the 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 insonic ones, which you know, like the A ASR ten, which you you could uh, do all these tiny little loops. Um, we did a a a one of our twelve inches, um, basically playing the the notes were being sequenced, but we just kicked the 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 loop point along. Oh, over right. the whole duration of the track, so it would play the melody, but would never play it quite the same. Nice, you know, timbre all the way through the whole thing, and it wasn't like you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. It just made people kind of go, "Wow, that there's something about this that sounds kind of interesting." Um, but the thing I'm loving at the moment is is spectral synthesis. Um, this whole thing, um, Steinberg make a thing called Pad Shop. 
and you can drop anything into it and it's there. It just comes back. And, of course, you have no time stretching or anything because it's turned into a spectral form. And, um, like, you can get any old synthesizer, you know, 100F or whatever, stick it in, that's it, it's in there. Or you can get cleaning a toilet or you can do whatever you like with this thing. And so, therefore, it's got rid of the whole tape recorder versus synthesizer versus this is an electronic sound, this is not electronic sound. I don't give a fuck whether it's electronic or not electronic. I just need that sound. And I'm I'm so happy because this thing is a technical solution to removing all those barriers of right. is this synthetic or not. So it's called Pad, pad Shop, is it? Pad Shop, yeah. Oh, I've got a and, that. And, and so it's spectral. So, you know, you know um, how you do that whole grain thing? Yeah, yeah. Which sounds, you know, is no good. No, it's not like that. You actually, you drop the sound into it. Like I've got a an old um, um, synthesizer wasp. Yeah. Okay, so you brrr, the wasp, make a good noise, drop it into this thing, done. No, huh. no, no business with, you know, like multi-sampling or anything like that. It's just like a photograph of this thing and it just comes out and, so you've got your wasp and, and you play, or you get an air conditioner or, or anything. You don't have to worry about any of that anymore. That's amazing. I, I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, yeah. So when you were first starting in bands um, yeah. and you were experimenting with drum machines and sequences, yeah. what, what, tell me about the community that you had around in, in Sydney at that point. Well, there was the band. So before I got there was a fellow called Richard and a fellow called Andrew. Right. And so I joined. Andrew ran away. It was me and Richard. Richard decided that he hated all rockist kind of ideas. <laughs> and he started a band called the Nobodies, which was all basically tape recorders. Right. And he would he was the roadie. So he would set all the ro- the tape recorders up and he'd be the roadie for them. When they'd finished, he'd pick them all up and take. Richard kind of dominated the band in the very, very early days. Um, So around this, we didn't really, it didn't really matter whether you were like a rock band or a ska band or you did dub or, because there wasn't that many of us. We, We would all kind of, you would play gigs where there'd be a mixture of stuff. There were pubs. You'd play at a pub. Um, you would get sometimes beaten up and thrown out. Um, that <laughs> happened a few times. Uh, we would do gigs in squats um, or art galleries or bookstores or, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm talking very early days. And then you got a few people who came along who decided they would be managers. All right. And they would start managing things. And so basically... Um, the, you'd get a gig. You know, like when The Fall came to Australia for the first time, we were the support band for The Fall, right? Um, which was really funny. Um, it was quite a combo. But you can see that we didn't really fit with The Fall and The Fall really didn't fit with us, but it was didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. Um, and then it kind of, we started to get a little popular um and that caused all kinds of trouble because then people had expectations and and I would go in and 
myself and I, I, Gary Bradbury joined the group. There's been thousands of people coming in and out of the group constantly. Um, and we'd put something on, but we'd, we'd, everyone would be coming along because they wanted to uh, hear the pop music. And, you know, we'd do things like run the tape 10 times normal speed or or we'd do it on buckets or, or anything that would kind of thwart the... But it was it's it's kind of um, the the world moves around you and and you're pulled along by it and you can't really uh, refuse you can't say well no no we're we're going to be that forever it, 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 it it's it's very it's a very long history so it's very hard to sum up no, going from playing in a squat to being in the middle of America somewhere in Atlanta and I'm in a hotel room and somebody delivers a check for like, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or something. And you go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, the money. And um, it's weird sort of like changes of history that have gone on and, and it's very hard to know how to even sum it up. Yeah. I've got a very, in, uh, uh, when I was doing research for this, I was looking at, what struck me is that there's this kind of, it's almost like a, as soon as you become successful, it's almost like a a, a, a kind of subconscious self-sabotage to get back to oh, yeah. strip away all that stuff and then get oh, yeah. with the simplicity of just being completely free. Is that accurate? Mm, no, because that sounds like I'd know what I was doing. <laughs> um, I have no idea. I've never known. Um, when we first came to England, we played at a thing called um, I Want Music or something at the ICA. Right. We played at the ICA um, with Hula and Daniel Dax. Right. Um, on, and it was the same set that um, Non played. So there was Boyd Rice was on one night and, and right. we were on. Anyway, um, so we were supposed to be headlining this thing, but we always had a thing that the more people you had in the band, if there were seven of you, we'd put you on last. So the least right. number of people gone for it, very anarchic, stupid thing. But anyway, oh, no, we have the least number of people, so should, we should go on first. And um, so Daniel Dax said, oh, I'll go on last. I said, fine, whatever. Um, and we played the same track for 30 minutes. Um and uh, then we played a, another track called Goodbye Tonsils, which goes for about nine minutes, and then we walked off. Um, and it's just like, why have you flown all the way to England to do this? And I can't answer. I really, I can't answer. I actually worked really, really hard on that 30 minutes. of, You know, years later you'd have somebody like the Orb or someone like that would do this sort of like long flowing kind of stuff you know it was kind of 90s stuff but this was like 80s and and they were like really just like no idea yeah but the ica you know they were they were quite i mean that it you know the sort of stuff you were doing at that time if it was going to work anywhere it would work at the ica um so well, i won't i won't beat yourself up too much about that because i think they it's an art context isn't it i mean if you if you went on uh you know, if you went on at the uh, Royal Albert Hall and did that, then there would be an outrage. But uh... well, look, the only thing that really mattered was there was this show called uh, Max Headroom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
um, we met the people that did that, and they we had this video, and can we have put it on Max Headroom? So <laughs> there was one one episode of Max Headroom where this is sort of like twenty seconds of our stuff going <laughs> over the screen, um, and that was better than any live show at all because you know like. Um, People would just be at home with their dinner or they'd be in a pub drinking and this thing would just come up on screen and they'd say, who was that? And, and I, 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 I firmly believe that the, the live shows that we did um, didn't matter. It was just that little burst of stuff on the TV. I mean, we played at the um, up in Sheffield as well. Yeah. Uh, where was the name of the place? Um, been the there for years. No, not the, not the Limit Club, was it? No, no, no. Um, the one that's been through all this political argy bargy recently. About oh, who oh, 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 yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. Uh, lead Mill, Lead Mill, yeah. So we played at the Lead Mill. Now, I bet no one even remembers who we played at the Lead Mill. Nothing, no, nothing at all. But you know, yeah, we, we were on Max Headroom, and that, that matters. And and you know, you get this thought in your head. We should be on television more. Oh, right. Well, that's a reason. Um, that's what we did. Well, that's great. Um, did touring in America fuck you up? Um, well, it had to be done. And it had to be, it was, uh, you know, the right thing at the right time and, and, and necessary and stuff like that. Um, I did actually come back from three and a half months of <laughs> touring with not not well, not well. Yeah, I wasn't well when we toured in America either afterwards. I've only just recovered. It's two months on. Um, next question is, um, what have I got written down here? Oh, yeah, I want to talk to you about your innovative approach to technologies and the idea of these cassette releases it's more like a kind of art installation thing and this idea that you were early adopters of the whole cd-rom thing mm. and then early adopters and understanders of the power of the internet um so tell me about that part of your your um your your methodology well there's not there's lots of luck in it um there was a guy in the band who was the video guy was called Stephen Jones. Right. He's Stephen R. Jones. There's another guy called Stephen Jones who's Stephen M. Jones. And he's an American guy and he was running things in the early internet. And right. and I I ran a bull thing called a bulletin board that was before the internet. So oh people my God, I remember them. Yeah. Yeah. BBS. I ran a BBS. And he was on my BBS and he said you should be on the internet. And I said, what's the internet? And he said, okay, blah, blah, blah. And so he set up um, sevcom.com, servercommunications.com. Yeah. Very, very long. We were there long before Google, long before um, eBay, long before any of those people existed. We were up there and we had this um, clientele of people who were also very kind of looking forward to the future. So very, very lucky that this guy steps in and he basically made it said that we had an internet presence before there really was an internet to have a presence on. Um, wow. But the, the whole thing about the, the, the container 
is that the container helps you with the design of what you're yeah, making. Yeah. The feedback. And I even I even did a thesis project where I, I remade the same piece of music on every different kind of um, format, and it's in a metal suitcase, right? And you, you can open up, there's a CD and a, an eight-track cartridge and a record, and they're all the – and apparently a famous artist redid it recently, and he was the first one to do it. But oh, anyway, right. what, doesn't matter. Um, so I firmly believe that the fact that a record has two sides will write the music. You will do the 12-inch extended mix and then you will do the dub on the other side. Or if you have a CD, like I wrote to Brian Eno, he's very nice, wrote back. Um, I said, you know, you, you've made this Thursday afternoon, you've made it like 62 minutes long. And he said, well, actually, I want it to go forever, but that was the, the most I could actually fit onto a CD. But the whole is the whole thing is that, being in charge of the container is part of composition. Yes, I'm with you. Yeah. You, you, if you're a composer, um, then that's kind of where you're going to be able to position your music. It's 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 part of part of what needs to be there. So it's another no-brainer. It's not like I'm very clever or anything. It's just like you know, you um, very clever though. But. But that's what you should do. You know? <laughs> and, and then, it might be and then obvious to you, but you're an artist, right? And well, you, no, but it's, you think it's like not an artist. Beyond, it's not beyond the wit of man to. I mean, I was not the first person to make a thumb drive album. There was somebody in Germany who'd done it before me. But um, okay, so it's not about being first. It's not about being clever. It's like I'm making something on a thumb drive. Right. What can I do with that? How much can I fit on it? Um, Will people use this in a different way? Um, like in America, people um, keep having CDs because they have CD players in their car. Right. So why? what do you do with a CD is, is in America is you make it for a car drive. But the other thing, I think this illustrates it really well, is why a CD is the way it is, it, that size and everything, and why it goes at 44.1 mm. kilohertz and why it lasts for 72 minutes. And all of that is because the thing in a car, a car concert that held the cassette, when you pull it out, you could only yeah. replace it with something if the disc was that size. And so there's entire kinds of music which are based upon the fact that the car has that sized hole in it. And why wouldn't you be making that part of your thinking? Interesting, yeah. Um, I do a, a, a lot of stuff with three-dimensional ambisonic sound. I've been doing it oh, for 20 years. Are you a Dolby man? Or? Uh, no, no. So uh, this is the story. So we actually co-designed the, the front end for musicians to use. Right. Uh, but it's based on the theory of amb ambisonics. So we, my studio, I've got two rings of speakers, one high, one low, mm. et cetera. Mm. And... Um, Fell in love with Ambisonics in 1999, mm. and uh, I've had a com I've got a company called Illustrious, which has done like 70 major projects around the world. Cool. Uh, yeah. In fact, I I think I demonstrated that in Sydney, the Sydney Opera House. Anyway, um, but what I discovered was because I pitched when I've been doing this for a few years, I pitched the idea of it all 
because the actual uh, software to do this is relatively easy to use. So mm. um, I pitched it to uh, Disney and to DreamWorks and to Dolby. Yeah. And the one unifying thing about it all is they all loved it. They all freely admitted it sounded better than anything they developed. Mm. But none of them wanted to go to the trouble of re-equipping, say, cinemas with a whole mm. new bunch of kit. So that's mm. why you end up with things like Dolby Atmos now, which is mm. basically just a retrofitted few speakers in the ceiling. Mm. That's it. So you've yeah. got a dome of sound. There's nothing going on beneath here or anything like that. So that, what you're saying reminds me of the fact that it is a very pragmatic commercial world out there mm. that, uh, that is shaping what we do. And unfortunately, the big data thing is shaping it even more now. So if people can't see, yeah. can't, can't drop something in the top end of this pin, uh, this pin machine and it comes out as a profit at the bottom end, they won't do it. Now, me mm. and you think and talk like artists and uh, – Frankly, I've reached the point in my career now where I don't give a flying fuck whether it makes money or not because it's unlikely to make a lot of money. I just need enough money to keep going. So I think you're a bit like me in that respect. Um, do you feel that's the case? Um, I, I'm always anxious about money. <laughs> <laughs> I never expect it to be there tomorrow. Point the club. Yeah. Um, the, 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 recently, I, I've never gone for an arts grant before. And I thought, bugger it, they'll give me money. So I went for an arts grant. And what it was was to um, be with a architectural office. Right. Because they have a surround system. They have a ambisonic system right. array in a particular room. And they pre-sonify the spaces that they build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they've got... Each one, they've got one in, in, in London, one in, in New York, one in Sydney, whatever. So they can all listen to what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And and so basically I got a residency in this place and it was kind of like, okay, you've got all the speaker array, you've got this, you've got this door that completely blocks you in, but you've got absolutely nothing else. It's completely up to you to feed these things right and here's here's a month and and rock and roll um and very quickly I, I worked out how to I worked out how to feed the array and get things coming from all directions but the problem was I couldn't share it no that this was yeah an issue and 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 I wanted to share it with people so that what I wanted to do was uh, I had to learn how Dolby Atmos worked, and then I rewired it so that I got a kind of fake Dolby Atmos for all yeah. these things. Yeah. Um, and then that way I could kind of, um, you know, like you can listen to it this way or you could listen to it that way or it will be future-proofed. I can turn it into third-order ambisonics if need be, but I can bring it down to like Dolby or down to binaural or back and forth. Um, but I also do like computer games, and so the the thing I finally demoed to the architects was a, a game where you, you have the sounds coming from you yeah. at you for all the different. And kind of like the idea was that they're taking real places and and creating the sound for yeah. them. Whereas I've got sounds and I'm making imaginary spaces for yeah. Yeah. comes from, and they were like, um, oh, which was fun. 
Well, I, I, got, yeah. I, I uh, 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 just to give you the benefit of my experience, mm. I've been doing this for 20 years now, and yeah. uh, I've worked with all sorts of people from architects to the Royal Ballet to like you name it. We've done it all yeah. around the world. Um, people regard it as magic, right? Which yeah. is good. It's good because you can sell magic. Um, mm. But there's still what I'm always astounded at is the sheer paucity of intelligent people who can wrap their mind around the idea that you can essentially recreate. Uh, you can recreate real environments. You can actually capture them, of course, with um, uh, uh, with soundfield microphones and stuff. You can transmit them over the internet. But also, this idea of this kind of magic realism of creating imaginary worlds, so if you're blindfolded or if you're blind, mm. it's a replacement for reality, is, I mean, we're doing a lot of work with uh, immersive theatre at the moment, and... Yeah. Uh, they're into that, but they don't. They don't get it really until mm. they until mm. they experience it. So mm. you know, we as I say, we've been doing this for twenty years, and I thought it was going to take two or three years for it to get to the mainstream, and we're just it's just starting to happen. Twenty years on, uh, yeah. Dolby Atmos and stuff, and I've done various Dolby Atmos mixes, but it's nowhere it's near. Something. It's nowhere wow. near as good as um, Ambisonics. Is. Yeah, but it, it, it it's it's. You got to go to the people rather than have the people come to you. I don't really know. Have you heard of a lot in America called Meow Wolf? No. Okay, you should have a look at that at some point. Uh, you'll find some. So it's you know like cat meow wolf oh, the right. animal. Yeah, yeah. Look that up, and you'll find I think some kindred uh, crazies over the <laughs> other side who might might get you. Um, there's some really interesting YouTube videos as well of the environments that they build. They're, they're physical environments. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Physical environments. Very much so. Uh, but they have very good storytelling and very good ideas of immersion and things like that. And it's sort of the place where I'm kind of like wishing to go yeah, uh, yeah. next. Well, um, if, you fancy ever, if you ever fancy doing uh, or, you know, even, you know, kind of doing some experiments in this yeah. Then I'd be up for talking about it. Go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I love have a bit at, of, Have a look know. at my website, illustriouscompany.co.uk. Okay. All right. Uh, and uh, you'll see the kind of range of projects that we've done. But I'd be very interested. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, anyway, I'm talking about you. Um, you toured with Gary Newman. He's a nice chap, isn't he? He's a funny, he's a funny guy. He's a funny oh. guy. The whole thing was very funny. Okay. Um, because, we, uh, you know, we just said, um, we don't care what you pay us. We just want the same hotel rooms as Gary Newman's getting. <laughs> and and the, the guy who was putting the tour on, of course, he gets a discount on hotel rooms and stuff. So, right. it was, yeah, fine. It was happy. So, it was just, it was just um, a, a, like a very silly thing. We we were obviously working properly, but we were, we were having a bit of fun. That's good. Um they were they were not un, they were not unfriendly, but they were very business like. You know, we we didn't have too much interaction right. with them. But they were, they were but we we were trying to. I was saying I don't want the band to exist anymore. I'm sick of the band. Um, and so we've got actually a, it's over on the shelf there a piece of paper which was signed by Gary Newman saying that um, 
when we played with him in Adelaide, he says, Adelaide is the last time that Seven Heads will play, signed Gary Newman. Um, so I had that for quite a while as a way of saying we're not allowed to play live anymore. <laughs> sit so I ask and Gary Newman says, and then the guy running the Festival of Adelaide rings up and he says, would you do the Festival of Adelaide? And I said, oh, uh, oh actually it says Adelaide is the last gig. So, okay, yeah, we can do it. Oh, um, I agree. That's good. That's funny. Um, Orbital what, are fun. We, we get along yeah. with Orbital really well. They're, they're good. They're good fun. Yeah, I, I've interviewed um my brain. Anyway, the guys from Orbital. Yeah, they're they're yeah. and uh and um I like them a lot. Yeah, they they uh, came they they were very really big, weren't they? Mm, I think they still are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for um, people like me, they're immense. Right, right, right. And um, what's uh, what's in the future then for you? Uh well I we don't I don't want to play live anymore. And and we can't really go to America or or someone that it just costs too much. Like it's it's almost three thousand dollars just to get the um the, the the papers done. Yeah. Um and you know, people were saying oh, we'll pay you a lot of money, but you know, by the time you've paid for all logistics and stuff, it was so I've started doing um these things called seances. And what I'm doing, what I'm doing is I'm taking music that that we've never been able to perform and using tools that you can get these days to rip it apart and put it back together again so i've just finished today the the setup for the second séance the first one was actually more than a year ago they take takes forever to do this um and so it's an hour long broadcast on on um bandcamp and you know you pay your 10, 10 bucks and come along and and we will in this room that I'm in right now perform this thing with all the visuals and everything uh, worldwide and it's so much easier than getting on a bus or a plane or something. Oh, yeah. and, and, and so um, so for example, there's a, a very old track on one of our old records called "Exploring the Secrets of Treating Deaf Mutes," right? And there's a bit where my I've got a recording of my mother reading. Um, the guy I was working with, Gary, gave her a piece of paper and said, read this, and recorded it on a tape recorder. And she's sort of like, rrr, 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 you know, trying to trying to do it. And that was in deeply in the mix that you hear on the record. And, of course, these days you put it into a system, uses the machine um, uh, reading to, like, take it out, and you've got the voice back. Right, 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 right. So you can pull all of these tracks apart, put them on a multi-track, rebuild things, and then you can perform them because you can take things out and add things in and, and stuff. So the seances are kind of fun because people go, I only like their old music, and I go, well, here it is. You know, here's all the stuff that, that we did back in the day and we can do it now and you can come along and hear it and stuff. So we did one of them more than a year ago and it went down well. Um, obviously playing live, you get more people kind of like, you know, they like to see the meat. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm sure you play live as much as you can not have to do it oh, when no, you feel Well, like I mean, we are, uh, we have to play live because it's the only way we make money, frankly. So, yeah. So we, we throw ourselves heart and soul into the whole live thing and, 
and people seem to enjoy that. But there'll come a point where we hit a brick wall, frankly, because it's so tiring and exhausting. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, not yet. We're all right, you know. Um, so we're. this has been really uh, enlightening. That's the word I'd use. Uh, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, can I suggest that we move on to this to the pop questions which are yeah which are um on the surface quite trivial but actually people like it because they can follow the rabbit holes that you recommend um oh. online um what's your favorite film um well i have so many favorite i was actually a film lecturer for 10 years so I'm gonna I'm gonna put down the conversation because I want people I want to push people at just one one thing and it's it's a great film, okay. um, but one of the one of the films that I used to play at the when I was teaching was actually Triumph of the Will, the Lenny Riffin. Oh, Riffin Lenny Riffin style, right? Yeah. Yeah, and which you're not allowed to show, and of course I've got a copy. I'm going to show it. This film class. It, it's amazing that she was such a brilliant director. And and yet for a very very bad cause, and you know the number of things that she came up with to tell that story and devices and mechanisms stuff like that, brilliant. And if you actually read her life story, it ends up with her dying at 102 years old in Las Vegas, um, with uh, who's those guys that used to be the lion tamers that 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 were there? They were in the hotel room oh, with her. Uh, uh, Siegfried and Roy. Yeah, Siegfried Royal and Lenny Reifenstahl, you know. <laughs> and she also, um, there was a, a a village in Africa that she felt really bad about the wars that were going on in there. So she hired a helicopter because she'd visited these people and photographed them at one point. She flew back and the helicopter got shot down and it crashed and she climbed out and she managed to get to the village and asked them they were all right and they said they were all right. And then she somehow got crazy, crazy, crazy stories about wow. her. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite book? Um, I, I, I have to be... It it varies again. I've got this library downstairs. I've got this Alistair Crowley shit and all sorts of stuff, and you know, and, and other interesting people who aren't full of bullshit and all. That. But but I've got so many of them. Um, I really like those old um, true science books that Time Life put out in the sixties. I've got one about sound. Wow. Um, and uh, the, there's all these different topics. But there's another book I've got, actually, which is called The Unfashionable Human Body. And it's all of the weird things people did to themselves in the past, like foot binding. And right. back when the bustle, because they saw the Hottentots yeah. had big asses, so they made this bustle at the back. And people having ribs removed so that they yeah, can have yeah. a tighter waist. And it's just this, it just sums up humanity in this particularly bizarre way that I can't even, you know, like people like kids say these days, I can't even. No, I no. Well, I mean, there, there is a new, I mean, when I was growing up, there was only, it was only sailors and army people who had tattoos. Now everyone, everyone's got them. Oh, it's so, everywhere. Uh, actually, some of them are amazing. Anyway, uh, TV show. 
past, present, box set? Well, oh, there's so many. There. I've, I've been watching The Queen. The Crown, pardon I, me. The no, crown. no, no, no. I have. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly forlorn. It's, 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 it's this sort of um, odd, queasy kind of, you know, it, 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 there's something about it that I really I quite like because they're all tied up and they're, they're all in bondage. They're all tied yeah. up in this whole yeah. kind of obligatory lifestyle where you can't speak, you can't. They move like people who are imprisoned. I can dig that, but I mean, it's this kind of prison that the vast majority of people prefer to their their lives. But uh, mm. not being you, because we're artists. But um, I, as you may guess, I am a Republican. So uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Except you'll end up with a Republic, and you know what they're like. Well, I don't think there's any. Uh, well, let's talk about. Let's not talk, because we'll be here all day. But let's talk mm. about democracy. What a load of mm. shit this is. Anyway, um, who's your favourite? Mm, experimental musician. Oh, no, uh, musician's not the right word. Mm, you know, sound creator. Sound creator. Um, Walter Murch. Oh, I don't really... I, I've heard of him, but I'm not... He's the, he, he is the um, sound designer um, for many films... Um, that if you just type, I, I'm not, I'm not, it'll tell you, type in Walter Murch and he directed one film which was Return to Oz. Oh, right. Yes, was, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's the guy that basically film sound was codified and strengthened under Walter Murch. He is the dude. He is the one. Wow. That's a good tip. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, think of a THX 1138. Think of. Oh, that. yeah. Love Walter that. Murch. Absolutely. Uh, which of your work are you most proud of? Um, I kind of it, it kind of varies a lot on the mood. I, I like the ones which have a kind of uh, like I've got one called Donut, and all the tracks are just basically called after donuts. <laughs> and there was there was a particular um, kind of music thing that used to exist on records but it was on this uh seagate or see C, i can't see something rather and um, it was music that that was available in many shopping right. centers yeah, yeah. malls it's mall music and i managed to find a whole bunch of this stuff and run it through all these different processes so it's this sort of uh warped um uh shopping music Right. But named after donuts. The reason it's named after donuts is because the CD itself, you can play with a vinyl record. Wow! So it's a don't. It's got the the. You can oh. play it with a record, or you can play it as a CD. That's it's a dual sort of thing, and and so it's kind of this whole thing. And 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 my wife made wired donuts that go on the cover and stuff. So I I, I, I'm kind of happy with that one, but then tomorrow I'll be liking another one better. I oh, think. That's fair enough. Um, was there any, I think you've already described it earlier, but is there an epiphanal moment in your life that, that made you go, a moment of kind of divine inspiration, not divine, you know, I don't believe in God, but a moment of uh, 
light bulb moment? Um, oh, no, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, there's always lots of those. Um, I, I even had encephalitis one time and for four days thought I'd found God and, and everything. It was fantastic. But, you know, we, you know. But I'm thinking about the time that I came back from this tour, this three-and-a-half-month tour, and um, I'm back again. And up to this point, it's been this whole alchemical thing mm. that we've been talking about. You know, it's it's, it's coming from mm. here. But this was actually coming back in. And you come out the other side, and, and I had a nervous breakdown, basically, and, right. and, and had, had all sorts of... Um, I was trying to buy metric screws in a shop and, and they didn't have metric screws. And I said, what the fuck do you mean? We're living in a metric fucking country and, and police got called. And look, Anyway, but it was a moment you have to go down to know up. Right, right. You have to go in to know out and you have to, you have to go through terrible life events to see the beauty and the everyday happinesses that you have. Um, and so asking me about the highs, I think I'd rather talk about that, the lows that somehow you recover from. And when you recover from them, the birds sing. Oh, that's a beautiful way of putting it. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Um, okay, so this, is, this is quite a good segue. Which piece of music makes you cry? Um, oh, when was the last? I, I cry, I don't need music, I can cry anyway. Um, I think, uh, I'd have to think about that. I don't, it's, it's all contextual. Yeah, of course. Um, I, there, there is a film that had the music from Brian Eno's um, uh, Apollo thing. Yeah. Was it, I think it was the Shawshank Redemption or something. When you got to the menu on the DVD, it would play this little snippet of, of this Brian Eno track. And at the time, my partner had a heroin addiction and would fall asleep. You see, I'm giving you the full thing. Okay. And this thing would go around and around and around and around basically just this sort of repeating kind of title thing and and the whole scenario of that means that i really can't deal with that that piece of music right right, right. it's not his fault no. <laughs> it's not his fault and it's not the shawshank redemption's fault it's that it's that uh, the association that, oh, yeah that yeah. goes with um so that could be one of them, I think. You know, that's probably the example. I'll I'm, tell I'm, you I'm being a real downer at your party here, by oh, the way. No, 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 it's good, man. I love it. Uh, I'll tell you mine. It, uh, is, um, I was, I've got a real affinity for Venice, and uh, I used to have an apartment there for decades. And, cool. um, and the, the Fenice Opera House there is amazing. It's, it's mm. just a thing of beauty, and I'm a bit of an opera fan. It's my guilty pleasure. And um, there was a performance of, uh, and I'm a big fan of Purcell, you know, the English. Company, yeah. Yeah. Um, who I think was a modernist way before the term was ever invented. Um, mm. 
and he wrote this opera called uh, Dido and Aeneas. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. one song called, um, which is my favourite song of all time, actually. Um, oh. When I, it's called When I Am, I can't remember, I might have got this wrong, but I think it's called When I Am Buried in Earth. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, I mean, the, the, the scenario is, this the queen who's got everything speaking of the queen the queen in this particular story she's been betrayed by her by her uh, soldier general lover mm. and she's decided to, to top herself and she's mm. basically the lyrics are uh where don't think badly of me for taking mm. your life mm. just mm. remember the good times now i'm going this is too much. Yeah. It's such a beautiful, uh, misguided, but beautiful sentiment. And the mm. music, heart-wrenchingly beautiful. You've got to check it out. Anybody mm. else on the podcast as well. Um, you might even know it when you hear it. It's just... I, I, I think I will, but I, don't, I can't call it up. It's so um, utterly beautiful. Mm. Anyway, um, if, you had an, if, you, if you'd have had an alternative career, what do you think it might have been? Well, I've, I've done a lot of teaching. Um, so I, I, I taught film yeah. and music and, and stuff. But there was a time when, um, because I needed the money, I worked at a place where we took care of um, high school students who were in some way agitated, disturbed, um, were living in cars, um, and they would come around to a museum a power, called a Powerhouse Museum in Sydney, right. and we would take them in and we'd teach them how to use uh, computers and stuff like that and, um, you know, to do artwork, you know, at yeah, the time yeah. it seemed appropriate. Um, and kind of I, I think teaching is probably what I, it's what I've always felt back on when I've been, you know, broke um i don't think i'd be a very good um boss uh i worked in i i worked in print advertising for five years i i've, I've worked in jingles and you you do whatever you can to yeah, yeah survive um i try to be as good as i can in each of them but i think probably teaching's the one that i i actually give a shit about so you know right no that makes yeah, sense you gotta give a shit. i think you're very good at I can sense that you're very good at ex a explaining things, but also inspiring people. So uh, I think that's that's a good uh, career alternative career choice. Um, what and the final question: What's your favourite synthesizer? Oh, that's a hard one. They'll all be jealous if I uh... <laughs> kind of look. Look, I I think the one that's look the one hundred F is is my favourite one. Right, because you know it 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 gives no shits, um, but I did sell it and didn't have one for five years or something, and then bought another one again, which is a bad sign. I've got an MS fifty MS twenty rig over oh, there. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, cool! That I used that a hell of a lot, but actually, it's the JDXA. That's very interesting. Because I've got I've got one of those. The, does it has it blown up yet? They've got a defect in them that you have to get fixed. 
Oh shit! Okay. There's a chip that gets hot, and 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 then, but um, there's a guy in Sydney you could send it to. He can fix it really well. You know? <laughs> I don't think yeah. I'm sending it. Okay. Okay. Point being is that I like a combination of a synthetic sound and something which is like a more of a sample kind of sound, uh, yeah, like yeah. A kind of uh, a kind of grindy or windy yeah, yeah. or or something like that. And like, you know, I've got all these things up and yeah, do all that stuff. But the JD actually is is a hybrid. It's got it's got um analog oscillators in it. Yeah. And it's then it's got the um the all those 500 Roland kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. things. And it just, they just go well together. They just really go well. You go, I, I want a bit of that and I want a bit of that. And I can have both those things at the same time. And so it's really, I'm really happy with it. The other thing is the um, OP, what's it called? The, OP1. The, no, no, the uh, OP6. The OP6. The Korg Opsix. Korg? I've never heard of that. So it's FM, right? Right. Six. Six operators. Right. So you can do all that stuff, but you've got slides and stuff, right? Okay. But each operator can also be a filter or a effect. Or it can be a um, it can be something which uh, does some other pollute. I can't remember. So you can say I'm going to have one operator be the oscillator and the other five be filters, right. or I can have five of them be oscillators and one of them be a filter, or I can say I would like to have that go through that one, but then you can kind of just sort of. So I don't like modular. Modular, I don't. I don't get module. Module is too much for me. I just get oh. overwhelmed. This thing, this thing, basically, it just whatever you're kind of hoping to do, it'll just do it, and it's really fun. So I've got two two tips for you, which I think you you anyway. You may have come across them. Uh, mm. Do you know Teenage Engineering OP One? I don't like it. You don't like it? I don't like it. No, I don't like you it. You don't like it. No, I don't like it. No, no. It, 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 it. I've upset him now. He's gone. No, he's coming back. Look at this. What is that? I like it. This is my tip. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? Okay, I, I'm not going to do it right now. If you want a toy, get yeah. a toy. Don't get a toy that is kind of a professional toy. Get a fucking toy. That's yeah. I don't like the OP one because I don't. I want if it's a toy, then I want a full-on toy. I don't want that kind of halfway thing. It it's just a personal thing. Okay, but Fair I enough. just don't. And and you know, if I want to record stuff, um. I, I'm more kind of like going to get out a, a, a you know a Zoom recorder or something and and bring it back and I, it's just not really my cup of tea. Okay. Now this is now this is good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I like, these things. I, I like toys. I like yeah, toys. Me too. But... Me too. All right. Uh, Second one <laughs> is the new Korg. Um... 
reimagining of the ARP 2600. Have you come across that? Right. It's, yeah. It's good. I, yeah, I... See, you see, it's a taste thing. It's a it's 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 kind of like you 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 are sort of flowing along and then you you sort of flow this way and flow that way and you get this sort of muscle thing going on, and like that sort of modularing thing. It, it it the MS I love that because it grew up with me. Maybe my brain at that time liked that, but my brain no longer likes that. It it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't thrive on it. It, it right. it's it's more and and I I'm not I'm not able to really sum it up, but um, I kind of would I don't I don't I okay here's with a modular system, I'm making the city, I'm putting the center of the city here, the harbor there, yep. the trees here. I'm creating the city and then I'm walking through it. And I'm bored. I don't want to go to that city. I want to go to somebody else's city. I want to walk into the city, and it might be mudgy. It might be Wagga Wagga. It might be like you know um, Swindon or whatever, just wherever you like. Just, but it might not be. But it's somewhere else, and I don't know where anything is. And I'm kind of walking through this city, and the more the thing has a sort of flow of its own ideas the more I'm interested in that city that I'm I'm in. So a, 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 a DX7, for example, is very much a city that you have to learn your way around. Um, it's its own thing. Whereas with a, a, a modular thing, I can put wherever I want, wherever, I, and I don't want to be able to put things wherever I want to put them. Okay. I, I, I want, I want, I don't want that. Uh, and and you know it sort of infuriates people sometimes when I say that, but it's just where I'm at. Okay, personal, just personal preference. I mean, I, I grew up with modular synthesis, and that I, so I feel the exact opposite. I don't yeah. want to be in somebody else's city. Using your analogy, I yeah. want to be in my own city and create it all. But that might be a control freak thing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but it's overcoming. Uh, and exploring. Um, yeah, yeah. The things that I owned were always really cheap and shit. <laughs> and so, I, I, you know, it was too expensive. I mean, you know, I've, I've never had a modular system. Right, right. I, I, I've, look, I've had them. As they say in Sheffield, it wouldn't mm. do for us all to be the same. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, 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 on that bombshell, I think. That's the end of the talk. But thank you so much for taking your – what time is it where you are? Uh, it's just a bit after 10. Oh, I'm sorry for taking your evening up. But... No, that's all right. It's fine. Yeah. I'm all grown no, up. Really, I'm to stay up. Really thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, I'll let you know when it's coming out. And uh, if you ever want to do any work in Ambisonics, let me know, and we can do a collaborative project together. Well, I, I'm I'm – Fuck, man, I did a fucking arts grant to do fucking ambisonic, so I should be interested <laughs> in it. Um, yeah, I'm interested in it. I'm, I'm, and and check out the Illustrious Company website. I think you'll dig it. Yeah. yeah All right, really but stay thank in you touch, right? Thanks for taking the time. No, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. All right, man. See you later. Bye. Rock and roll. Rock and roll will never die. <laughs>
that. Very much enjoyed this. I feel like we were on the same wavelength, if you excuse the pun. And uh, very happy to publicise his past work. He's got a, a thing called Sevcom Music System, which is like a, a... You should check out his... Well, if you look for Severed Heads on the internet, it'll guide you towards his very interesting website, which has got a load of stuff on it. Uh, if you want to dig deeper into his work, he's done so much stuff. And uh, as I said, he was very much requested to be on the podcast, so I'm glad we managed to get him. Um... How is everyone? It's bloody cold here. I'm wandering around with a woolly hat on all the time, even indoors. We're in the middle of winter, it's mid-January. Um, hope everyone's well. Really appreciate it if you consider supporting the podcast. Patreon.com stroke electronically hours, which is quite cheap, but it enables me to pay for making the podcast. And uh, I don't make any money out of it. In fact, I lose money on it. But if you can help me break even at least, that'd be much appreciated. Or if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Uh, you can just email me on electronicallymartin at gmail.com uh, with any comments or ideas, requests. That's it for this week. Another great guest soon. Bye. Uh, this is from Darren Keeping. Uh, still enjoying the pod. Just an idea. Tribute acts. Not for everyone, but I saw a Depeche tribute, The Devout, on Saturday. Personally enjoyed it more than the real thing. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, just looking at the work they put into their show, it might be interesting. In in places, it sounded like Alan Wilder and lent to then. What? And in places, sounded like Alan Wilder had lent them some floppy disks. Mm -hmm. Wondered where they got the sounds from. Just thought it could be an interesting subject. Um, tribute acts. I've not got a big down on them or anything, but I just don't see it as particularly relevant for this podcast. Thank you anyway. Thank you. Uh, there's a Patreon message mm -hmm. uh, from Miles Matisse. Have you got that? What date is that? Eleventh <laughs> of the eighth. Yeah, I don't have All right. Patreon stuff. All right, because it's uh, up to okay. Your... This is Miles Matisse. Martin, I'm the one that introduced you to Matt, Dr. Matt Fink for an interview. Thank you so much for doing that. He was great. Uh, the song that song for lust you did with her sounds similar to the to the title for love that was released on her debut Paisley Park album. No wonder Prince contacted you, wanted to hear your demos for Sananda Maitreya. Uh, you had already established a relationship of sorts with this camp. Dr. Fink would have loved to hear about your producing Jill in your interview with him. I was wondering if you'd be interested in interviewing David Z. I, in fact, did. Yep. And it was great, and I thank you greatly for that. Um, so the next one is Alex M on the... 16th of the 8th. Cool. This is from Alex M. Hi, Martin. Well done. A marvellous interview with Annie Hogan. It was marvellous to hear, Annie. That's a lot of marvellous. It was marvellous. And you gave her an opportunity to talk about certain things from her side. The interview was a little bittersweet, and there was a thread she has not been credited for her musical prowess in the way she should have. Her voice, unfortunately, has been a small one amongst many more vociferous artists. It would be good to hear Mark Armin's version, because there must be two sides to every story. 
Indeed, as a fan of his music and the wonderful work he did with Annie, I was always left confused as to why her name has never been revisited by him. But now I know why, thanks to the interview. Keep that, up the good... Sorry. Yeah, sorry, I was just saying thanks. Yeah, no, cheers. Thanks, Alex. Thank you.